I feel it in my bones. I'm getting rid of By the time this series is over, I'm going to be able to clap in time. I feel it coming on. Amen. Well, again, thank you for coming today. We're glad that you are here. And uh, we're, again, as you heard, as I intentionally put that part of the introduction in, in the earlier part of the service. But we are in a series entitled Tribal Living. Again, tribal being clan, family, that kind of idea. How do you live as a family? And today we want to talk about tribal law. Tribal. And I, I really, that word's too strong, um, but it, it, it fit okay. But I really want to tell you, you know, how do you live today as a family? You, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to look around and see that our culture in America is changing lightning fast. As I think about some things that have happened really since I came to be your pastor at Dorsville 16 years ago, I can look you dead in the eye and tell you it's a different world. It really is. And in 15, 16 years, it's going to be a different world again. So, so what standard, what do, we, what do we have that can help us with our families in these uncertain, these unstable times as core values, as uh, social mores are changing right before us? Well, do you have one of these in your house? Do you have one? Yeah, I know it's a long way, and those in the back might say, is he holding up Reader's Digest? No, no, no. It's the Bible. It's the Bible. And most of us, you know, in America, we're kind of blessed. Um, a lot of parts of the world, boy, if you have a copy of the Bible, like, that's a big deal. But most of us in America have copies of the Bible, um, God's guidelines for living, his, his written message to us. And, and I brought a box up here because I want to show you some things. You know, I was, as any pastor, I've got probably... 30 copies of the Bible in my office. Um, I was looking real quick. At home, I've got a page from a Bible that was printed about 1649, somewhere in there. It's really old. It's just a single sheet, you know. Uh, They have Bibles when they're falling apart. They sell the individual pages. I have a copy of the New Testament. I checked, uh, dated 1859. Now, think about that, before the Civil War. I've got a copy of that. I've got several that were printed around 1900, 1895 in that era. But these are several that are very special to me. And I've shown you this one before. And again, I know you can't see in the back, but it's a copy of the uh, new reference, uh, Thompson Chain Reference Bible. And it's blue in color. It's got the tabs in it for safe, you know, for fast finding stuff. And this is the Bible that we gave my dad in 1973. And so this is part of the tribal legacy. Um, when, my, when I joined the Air Force, my brother, who's the preacher then, said, Hey, why don't you let's give a dad a Bible for Father's Day? I said, Okay, sounds good. And so this was my dad's Bible. And boy, is it very, very special. And then we have this one. And this kind of this is kind of cool because this is my mama's Bible, okay? So I got I got dad's Bible and I got mama's Bible, and this is her. I was thinking I don't know if there's a dad Bible like from when he was a young person. I don't think there's a mama Bible from when she was young, but this was one she used when she died. And this is called the uh, the New Living Bible, and y'all remember that uh, John Peterson I think it was came out with that. And the thing about you need to know about the Living Bible. Just keep this in mind. There are translations and there are paraphrases. And a translation means they looked at the Greek and then then what the Greek meant transferred to English language. When you have a paraphrase, you basically have that guy kind of saying, well, this is what it means to me. He reads the Greek, but he says, this is what it means to me. It's not like a word-for-word translation from the Greek. But it's great. if It's it's an easy Bible to read, and that's why my mom had it. Mom was like me, just a real simple person.
person. And uh, so this is what she used in her reading of the Bible. And uh, so like I said, if you use that, that's cool. Okay, that's really cool. If it helps you understand it, that's awesome. So this was Mama's Bible. And then as I was going through these Bibles here, I found this one. This Bible is brown, and on the front cover it says Roy S. Allen. And this is my father-in-law's Bible. Okay? Now, Roy S. Allen practiced a, a different gospel than a lot of people. It's very popular in Georgia. I don't know if it's popped up here. It's called the Redneck Gospel. <laughs> you know, Roy, was your daddy a redneck? And by the way, all the sons are too, just so you'll know. He passed it down. Yeah, that, he was a really a redneck kind of a guy. And uh, I'll let you interpret that to your own, but just think South Georgia. And uh, for whatever reason, he really liked me a lot. In fact, Judy said, they like you more than they like me. <laughs> but anyway, so somehow I ended up with Roy S. Allen's Bible. He was a deacon in his church, but just a little rough around the edges. And so that's a real special Bible. And then, and then we got this Bible. And I'm, this, again, this is my Bible, and I don't have one from my childhood. I'm not sure what that says. I just know I don't have one. But I, I realized that my mama gave me this um, on January the 6th, which is my birthday, 1975. And uh, we gave the one to my dad six months before he died. He ended up dying of a heart attack just six months later. And then six months after he died... Mom in 1975 gave me this Bible. And uh, again, it's, a, it's pretty special because uh, it says to my son, Dwayne. Because my, my mom and dad both died young. They died at 62, my age, as a matter of fact. We're counting the days. <laughs> you know? But uh, they both died at age 62. And so, again, about two years, three years later, she died after she gave this to me. Um, and then, Pooter, not to leave you out, I've got one of your Bibles. Okay, and this one is dated 1973, and uh, from Southside Baptist Church. And so this is uh, the this is the official Pooter Bible, the Gospel according to Pooter. That's my nickname from my wife, by the way. Okay, and so that was Pooter's Bible. So so you may have Bibles like these that that carry the tribal legacy on. And they're special because of who they belong to. And by the way, you know, you may have a Bible that looks like this. You know? You may have a Bible that looks like this. This is actually an iPod. Um, but I didn't want to bring my iPhone because it would probably ring in church, you know. But anyway, so you may have one that looks like this. Or you may have a Bible that looks like this. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to understand. I personally believe that the Word of God is the guideline that we need in these crazy days. And it may look traditional... Like one of these, or guess what? It may look like one of these. Because you see, what makes a Bible a Bible is not what's, um, how it's bound, or if it's printed, like, uh, printed in paper or printed electronically. What makes the Bible the Bible is the message thereon. And so, so regardless in these changing times that we have, what's important is, is that you have a copy of the Word of God. Whether you change pages like this or you do like change pages like this. Because the Bible is just a very, very unique word. Judy was asking me to try to describe the message for today so she could put it on Facebook. So I said, well, the Bible's like, and we're trying to fish for words. She goes, like a guide? I said, yeah, but more than that. And, and, and guys, look at me in the eye. I'm telling you, God really burned my heart. 
Because in these unstable times, and let me pause there and tell you this. Tonight in the evening service, it's going to be different. You, you might want to come. Um, we're going to have a, a, I know we're going to have a block of prayer for America. Um, we're going to talk about America tonight and, and, and the social change that's going on and the spiritual condition and atmosphere of America. You might want to come tonight. Um, be prepared to pray some. We're going to preach the word of God some. We're going to worship some. But God just burned my heart about that. And God burned my heart about, especially if you're here and you're a parent of children 18 and under, this is so important. Because what are you going to turn to to help your children in these days we're growing up? You know, back when I was a kid, and no, it didn't start with 18, okay, like 1825. It, it was the 1900s. It was 1954 when I was born. But even the era that I was born in, the social mores, you know what that is? Social mores is kind of the, the, the cultural standard. You know, the, the, the cultural standard for most of my grown-up years were, you know, you went to church, you, you know, you didn't beat your wife, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. You know, it, it's just the way culture embraced that. Everybody, you know, you know, that Christmas was okay to celebrate, and you could put an activity screen on the courthouse there. Nobody cared. I was raised. We said the Lord's Prayer every day in the third grade. We sang a patriotic song every day. Um, we read scripture every day in a public school. I mean, that's just how it was because that was the culture in America. Well, the America we live in today, and this is not a political sermon, by the way. You know, the culture we live in today is a post-Christian America. And so you've got to have somewhere to turn. And by the way, you're in a good place today, a church. I'm not saying Dorsville, but a church where the Bible is taught. But you've got to have somewhere to turn in your tribe as you raise your children. And that's what the message is about today. I want to share with you what the Bible says about itself and why I believe it's unlike any other book there is. That's what I said. Unlike any other book there is. So, so with all that said, actually on your sermon sheet, and by the way, it's in the bulletin thing that you got, there are, actually are a little bit of fill in the blanks. I don't normally do that, but I want you to kind of remember what we're going to say. So what makes the Word of God so special? There's a lot of things, but, but one is its history. It's history. Um, the, the Bible was written over a 1,500-year, 15 centuries, a 1,500-year period. Um, the earliest writings are about 1,600 B.C., and the last of the New Testament was written about 100 A.D. So, so roughly 1,500 years from 1,600 B.C. to 100 A.D. Now, your Bible, if you have, whether it's on your iPhone or iPad or whether you have a printed copy, it's really a collection of writings. Um, the Bible is not one book. It's actually 66 books or writings. It's actually 66 books or writings, okay? Um, it's written by about 40 people. Best we can tell, about 40 people uh, wrote the Bible or authors of the Bible. Now, now you're going to hear in just a moment, but let me go ahead and tell you that, that you know, the Bible says that the Word of God is God-breathed or God-inspired. Yes, of course, men wrote the Bible, but, but as they were moved by God is the way Peter put it. Imagine this. Imagine, you remember you were a kid and they had the little sailboats and you put the sailboat out on the lake and the one would catch the little tiny sail and it would take off across the lake? Well, that's kind of what Peter was saying when he's saying it's God's breathe and that men were moved by the Holy Spirit as they wrote. 
Um, it was their hand, but God was speaking through them as they wrote the Word of God. So 40 authors writing the Word of God. Now here's the cool part. Whether you start in Genesis or whether you go over to one of the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, or whether you go to Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament before there was like three or four hundred years of silence, or whether you jump into one of the Gospels, or whether you jump into the books of Acts, which is the history of the early church, or maybe you go to one of the letters of Paul, or it's called the Epistles of Paul, or whether you go all the way to the end and you read that great book called the book of Revelation, you know, all of that. Regardless of where you go, it is, it is 66 books or writings, but it's one story or one thread. One story or one thread. Whether you start at the beginning or whether you go to the very end, it's a book with one story, one thread. And that is the story of the redemption of man. Whether you start in Genesis or end up in Revelation, it's the story of God working to move man back into relationship with him. And that's what we call the gospel story. That's what we call the gospel story. So here's the deal. As I said, in this book, there's just none of like it. Of all the, of all the other ancient writings, scriptural writings, they, none of them come close to matching the Bible. You know, there are, as I told you, there's a New Living Translation. There's a King James Translation over here. Um, I've got the New King James here. You've got, you know, one of many translations there are. There are many versions but there's never been a revision. There are many versions, but there's never been a revision. And you don't know why? Because God got it right the first time. I mean, there really is no... This book has stood the test of time. You know, I love the fact about the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were, were found in the 40s. A couple of guys were tossing rocks in a cave, heard clink, ran home. <laughs> no, really didn't. They, they said, what is that? And they go in there and they find all these clay jars. And in these clay jars were a bunch of, of scriptures and scripture fragments from about a hundred years before the birth of Jesus. The oldest writings that really that we have uh, in, in, in volume and mass. And included in that, okay, was an almost totally complete book of Isaiah from the Old Testament. Now, keep in mind, this, this thing was almost totally complete written a hundred years before the birth of Jesus, all right? When they pulled that scroll out, a little more gently than that, when they pulled the scroll out and started reading it, because it was written in Hebrew, Aramaic actually, as they read this scroll, they realized something. Even though it was written a hundred years before Jesus, it was exactly like the Isaiah, you can turn to... In your Bible. It really leads credence. I know, I know. Some of you are heading off to school. You're going off to college. And some professor is going to tell you the Bible's not real. It's a bunch of myths. It's a bunch of legends. Written by a bunch of crazy men. You know, like I heard Andy say one day. Andy Stanley from North Point Church. You know, your professor may be smarter than you. But he's not always right. So if you get to school and some professor says... You know, it contradicts everything you've been taught about God. Don't just necessarily assume he's right. He may be smarter than you, but he just may not be right. This book, this marvelous book, has stood the test of time. I mean, I, you could go with your professor, you know, who may be 38, 40, 55 years old, may have a couple PhDs after his name, or you can go with something 
that stood century after century after century after century after century after century of time. No other ancient writing is like the Bible. So you might say, well, what about the Quran? Well, the Quran, first off, is much younger than the Bible. But, but again, and I always share this with the caveat of telling you, I'm not trying to knock the Quran. Just don't think it's the Word of God. Just don't think it's the Bible. But, but anyway, you know, when Muhammad received his revelations, multiple, multiple revelations, um, he received them over a many-year period. And none of them were dated. And sometimes, one now this they will tell you this. Muslims will tell you this. I'm not trying to knock the Muslim faith. You know, they will tell you that, that one revelation would contradict the other revelation. So they have, the Muslims, have a, a national, well, the word national is not right, but a committee on a large scale, and their singular job is to find out what Muhammad spoke last. Because one revelation may cancel another, they don't want to follow the wrong revelation. So they do history, research, and research, and research, trying to figure out what revelation was the last one given, so they will know what to obey. You don't have to do that with this. Again, 1,500-year span from 1600 B.C. to 100 A.D., no revision. No revision. Isn't that awesome? This is a book you can trust. This is a book you can trust. Again, I'm amazed. And by the way, we're not going to make it to the sermon sheet today, so don't panic, okay? I'm prattling on because you need to hear some of this stuff. I was watching TVG was gone to Murray to do the babysitting grandkids thing. And um, I went to the uh, fire stick thing, you know, and looked up earth stuff, you know, because I like that stuff. I like earth stuff. I like travel. I like history. And it talked about uh, when the the earth from within, I think was the title of it. And they began by telling how the earth was formed. And I won't go into details, okay? But they're telling this story, what we think and probably and this and that. And guys, look at me. I'm listening to this story, and not because I'm an old preacher, and not because I'm a believer, and not because that what you expect me to say. I'm telling you, I'm going, I don't have that much faith. After the Big Bang Theory, all these particles were floating around, and something drew these particles together tighter and tighter and tighter, and that's how kind of the earth was formed. And then they talked about, well, somehow water came this way, we think, and maybe, and probably. And they make fun of us. Now, I'm being serious. I'm telling you, it takes more faith to believe in the Big Bang Theory, and it just kind of happened this way, okay, than to believe in a creator God. So before you throw this out as crazy, look what they're asking you to believe. At, look at what they're, at, they're offering as, quote, fact, and, and their explanation's full of we think, maybe, and probably. I was going to get this later, but let me just give it to you now. Have you ever wondered, why do people attack the word of God so much? Why, do you, why are you going to go to school, you recent graduates? Why are you going to go to school, as to a secular school, and you're going to hold some guy who's going to say, it's not true, it's written by men, it's myth, it's legend. Why is that? Why is it there's such an attack on the creation theory? Why, why well, theory wasn't a good word, <laughs> creation fact. Why do they so push back that there was a divine God who made this earth? 
What's the big pushback? Why are they so bent on disproving? Why do some people get angry when you say, well, I believe the Bible? Why do some people get angry when you say, well, I believe in a creator God? You want to know why? Because if there's a creator God, then that means they're accountable to him. And if there is an author of this, that means they're accountable to him. That's the pushback. Men rebel against authority and they agree that there's a creator God and they agree that there is an author of this book. They're admitting that, wait a minute, that means he's the boss and we're not. And that's why they push back. That's why they push back. So this is a book that can be trusted. Now ordinarily, when somebody talks about themselves, you go, well, yeah, that's you talking. But the word of God speaks about itself. And again, because it's these millennia old and centuries old and never has been revived, you know, it's something we could listen to what the Word of God says about itself. Now, I have two scriptures. We're not going to make it to Psalm, okay? But I think we can make it through 2 Timothy 3.16 and then Hebrews 4.12. I think we can make it through those two today. And Psalm 119, by the way, just, just for information, was simply a prayer that the psalmist writes about the Word of God. I encourage you to read it later on because it's just a prayer that we perhaps should pray concerning the Word of God. Well, here's what, here's what Paul wrote. Now, let me give you a little background in case you're not familiar. Okay, Paul was, was an apostle. He was, he was a hater of Christians and a hater of Jesus. He meets Jesus radically changed. Radically changed. And he who hated Jesus becomes a lover of Jesus. He who hated Christians becomes one of them. And he writes this letter, 2 Timothy, the second letter, the second writing to Timothy, who is a young preacher. And this young preacher had issues, had questions, had, had needed some advice, needed some encouragement. And that's what the writing, the book of 2 Timothy is. So here's what Paul says to this young preacher about the word of God. He says this. All Scripture, all Scripture, let's pause there. All Scripture, what is Scripture? What is Scripture? Well, to, to a Jew, of which, by the way, that's where the Old Testament comes from, to a Jew it would have been the Old Testament. It would have been the writings, the Pentateuch, um, it, it would have been the, the prophets, it would have been the, the poetry writings, it would have been those things, okay? So, so if you were a Jew alive, really a Jew alive today, your Bible would be the Old Testament. And that's really what they had back in the early church days. When Jesus was walking the face of the earth, really all they had was the Old Testament. They had the living word with them. They didn't have anything beyond that. And then, once Jesus Christ dies on the cross, resurrects and ascends to heaven, and this message, this incredible message about you can have forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and, you know, by believing and not by doing, when that incredible message starts spreading around, you know, again... These, these men, Paul and Peter and John, started writing these letters. And they became the context of our scripture. In fact, in Second Peter, you know, Peter's talking about how Paul's writing is hard to understand. And some of us go, uh-huh. There are some things he writes that I go, huh? You know, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he said, you know, Paul wrote, wrote these things and Peter said they're hard to understand. And that people take his writings and twist them, listen, like they do other scriptures. Other scriptures. 
So Peter, while Peter was alive, already the writings of Paul were considered on par with the Old Testament. So if you're in the early church, then these writings became what we now call the New Testament. In 397, the, the New Testament and the Bible was canonized, and they decided what books were going to be included. And there are like five things, which we don't have time to talk about. There are like five things that had to happen. And that's how we ended up with the Scripture as we know it. All Scripture. The Old Testament is still valid. Not the covenant, but the Old Testament still valid as well as the New Testament. All Scripture is God-inspired. It's God-inspired. It is God-breathed. And we already talked about that earlier. And is, here you go, parents, listen. And is useful to us. It's useful to teach us what is true. Now, this is huge. I was raised in a country, in a society, where truth was truth. Remember those days, guys? Now we have the teaching that there's no absolute truth. Truth is dependent on how you see it. And, and parents, young parents, that's why the Bible is so important. If you're a Christ follower, that's why the Bible is so important. Let me tell you something. There is absolute truth, and I'm holding it in my hand. Now, again, I know you expect a preacher to say that, but understand what I'm talking about. 16 or 1,500 years, 40 authors from 1,600 B.C. to 100 A.D. This book has proven itself. And it's truth. It's truth. Things that you used to be able to rely on to teach your kids, they're saying, oh, no, that's not true anymore. That's not true anymore. What are you going to te- how are you going to teach your kids to live in this world? And the answer is the Word of God. It is useful to teach us what is true. It helps us. Now, and this, notice in this case, by the way, I chose, if you've got your sermon sheet, the New Living Translation. Again, not New Living Bible, but New Living Translation. A different translation. Because I like the way they put it. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And you remember a couple of weeks ago, we preached a message on course correction? Have you ever been, now don't tell anybody. Don't raise your hand. But who, have you ever been texting before while you're driving? <gasps> sin, 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 sin. But you, you know, come on. We're being honest here. You were texting. You had both hands going. You're on a straight piece of road. And you're kind of like, we're doing this, you know. And you got kind of an older car. And the front end's not quite in alignment. And has a tendency to list to the left or right and list to the left. Ever had a car like that? I, I remember the old days, man. I used to have a car that didn't have wheels. I mean, it was like bad. Okay, well, I definitely had a car before is that it would pull to the right or pull to the left. Well, that's what, that's what Paul's talking about, about the Word of God. When we're, when we're about to drift off course, the Word of God will pull you back in. You, you can teach your kids. When you see your children starting to drift off course, you know, have you ever had, have you heard stories about a, a child, a, a student perhaps, and they were such a, in quotes, good kid, and all of a sudden, mom and dad's noticing grades dropping, um, pulling away, and you'll hear something like, I guess they started hanging around with the wrong kids. Well, what do you do when your child, you see your child drifting? I'm going to tell you something. I've done this, this parenting gig. I'm into my second round, the grandfather gig, and I hope to stick around for at least one great-grandfather gig. 
You know, faith don't let me down, but I didn't count on you. Okay? <laughs> a few years off. Maybe they hurry, but, but a few years. You know? So what do you do when you see? It doesn't work to say, back in my day, you know, Dad would say, if you do that, I'll kill you. Well, you just didn't do it. I mean, that was it, you know? I mean, you didn't. That doesn't work anymore. First off, they'll call DCFS on you. Okay? But secondly, it just doesn't work. You've got to have something more. And someone sang a song today about love, unconditional love. I'm telling you, there's power in the Word of God to help pull your child back on course. And there's power in the Word of God to pull you back on course. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you've kind of been thinking, you know, she won't catch me, he won't catch me, this won't happen, that won't happen. And all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're reading your Bible or some preacher's preaching or something, and all of a sudden, ooh, someone starts pulling you back on course. The Word of God is useful for that because it's like no other book. And then it goes on to make us realize what is wrong when we're getting off course and teaches us to do what is right. In other words, how to live this life Right. Now, here's the cool part. I was in a generation again that keep the rules, keep the rules, keep the rules, keep the rules. I don't think anybody ever taught me that God gave us this book. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's got rules. But it's rules that help me to live. It's rules that keep me from doing something stupid. It's rules that help me stay on course. It's rules that help me not to have as many regrets. Anybody here with me? This wonderful word of God, it, it, it teaches us right living for the purpose, for the purpose of living a better life. It, it corrects us when we're wrong, when, when we sin. I mean, when we're flat wrong, the word of God will just speak into our hearts. And when you don't listen to your wife and you don't listen to your preacher... All of a sudden, bam, you're reading your Bible one day for whatever reason. Maybe you're desperate and you throw open the Word of God and a verse just jumps out and hits you in your face. You're like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That's the power of the Word of God. It's useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize when we're drifting off course. It corrects us when we're wrong, when we need that wake-up call. And it also teaches us to do what is right, right kind of living. God uses it, verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Those words prepare and equip are about the same word. Basically, it means to prepare, to prepare. God prepares us to do every good work. Now, stay with me just a minute, okay? Every good work, that's God's stuff. I get it. He's writing to a preacher, that's God's stuff. And God's stuff's not bad stuff. But I'm figuring out that God's stuff happens in life. It happens here, but it happens in life. In other words, when he says God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work, it's how to do life. How to do life. Here's what Jesus said in John 10.10. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it what? More abundantly. I think, I heard it translated this way one time. I've come that you may have life that is truly life. I mean, part of God's word, as we listen to it, read it, study it, and apply it, as it gets into us, is we start living a life that's worth living. I mean, have you figured it out yet? The life that Walmart offers, 
Doesn't last very long. You know that thrill? You got that, got that new truck. You got the biggest truck in town. It's got more gadgets and cars got pills. And then the first payment comes. And all of a sudden the truck's not quite as cool. And then some crazy person opens their door and puts a dent the size of Texas in the side of your door. And then it's really not cool. And then in five years, it's got 100,000 miles and it's really not cool. What are you saying, Dwayne? I'm saying this. You can't buy the life that is life. It's not purchased at a store or a dealership. It is purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ as we live out the word of God in our life. You you heard it this morning in Psalm 127. Children are a blessing from the Lord. I'm telling you, you all think these kid thing is good? Wait till grandkids. Come on, grandparents, amen? It gets real good. You can, when they're bad, you send them dudes home. You spoil them real good and get them all like clingy and stuff. And you say, see y'all later. It's incredible. And it, I love, you know, little Ethan's my, one of my oldest grandson. And, his, you know, we kind of go by Paul Paul. You know, that's the thing. You kind of choose your name, you know, when you get to be this, this grandparent thing. And uh, every once in a while, and I don't know where he got it from, he goes, hey, Pops. I like it. Because you know why? I gave him the name. You call me Pawpaw. I'm the Pawpaw. But you know where he got Pops? In his heart. He looks at me and goes, hey, Pops. I love it. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Not that truck. Not the car. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Hey, hey, hey. Your family is a blessing from the Lord. You know, some of you are saying, my wife drives me nuts. She's not perfect. Look in the mirror. You're not either. When you start understanding, wait a minute. We're an imperfect conglomeration of people here who are loved by an incredible Savior and God. And we've got this incredible book to tell us how to do life. It can get pretty stinking good. Not perfect, but can get pretty stinking good. Let me real quick. Oh, real quick. Aren't y'all glad I didn't preach the whole gig? Tell you what, y'all been here to two o'clock. <laughs> well, no, you wouldn't. I'd be up here talking and be 900 empty seats. I know, I know. But let me just read this to you. This is Hebrews 4.12. Not sure who wrote Hebrews. Some think Paul, some people think other, maybe Luke. For the word of God, there it is again. The word of God is living and active. Let me just stop there. That'd be the last thought. The word of God is living and active i got people right now who would stand up and tell you I was doing life and I've read this verse 20 times and all of a sudden I read it in a certain situation and bam, it came to life. It came to life. Anybody? It's crazy. It's crazy. And then it's active. It's not passive. You know, I I need to tell you this and we're, we're done and I really mean that. You know, it's not enough to listen to sermons. In fact, it's not even enough to listen to the Word of God audio. In fact, it's not enough to just read the Bible. we got to let that, that get into us. It's active. When the Word of God gets into us, it changes us. You know, James 1.22 says, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Brother Brent, when he was preaching Wednesday night at Baccalore, he talked about two foundations. 
And Jesus said there's two kinds of people. Those who hear and do and those who hear and don't. And when we allow, hear the word of God and do it, it radically changes what we are and who we are. So leave here today. What's the big takeaway? Well, first off, and again, time was an issue, and I'm sorry for that. But it's all about this, this guy on this cross. It's not about church. It's not about religion. It's not about being a bad this. It's not if you go or don't go. Thank God to go, but it's not about that. It's about what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross. That's the bottom line. And the Bible says that if we'll have faith in what he did, turning from our sins and choosing to follow him, that we can have eternal life. We can have forgiveness. That's it. And we're going to have a time of decision in a minute. Brother Brent will be standing down here. And you say, okay, I don't understand that. I want to know more. And we will do our best to answer your questions. Two, I'm already a Jesus follower, Dwayne. Man, this is so crucial. As a parent, as a human being, as a follower of Christ, this is so crucial. Take time. First off, in these crazy days we're living in, choose. Everybody say choose. Choose to believe the word of God. You know, David Muir just might not be right. Your college professor just may not be right. The White House just may not be right. This you can believe. This you can count on. As a, as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, choose, choose, choose to believe. Let's pray. God, I know the greatest gift you ever gave us is this thing called salvation, redemption, forgiveness. I get that, and I don't argue with that. But I honestly believe the second greatest gift is this word of God. I'm so glad you didn't leave us here with nothing that we could put our arms around. I thank you that you have preserved and protected this wondrous book for millennia. For millennia. Thank you, Father, that we can trust it. We can believe it. That it's living. That it's active. It's true. I want to pray, Father, right now, if there's someone here who came for the baby dedication or for whatever reason decided to come to church today, I really just want to pray for them, Lord, if they've never made that decision to believe in Christ, turning from their old life, their old sin, to follow Him. I pray right now for them. I know it's crazy to ask, but, Father, I'm asking you to even help them to come forward and ask, tell Brent, Brent, I want to know more about this Jesus. I want to know more about this Jesus. So we pray for that. I want to pray for every mom and dad here today. Father, every mom and dad with kids 18 and under. Father, I want to pray that they'll choose in these unstable times, in these uncertain times, to follow the word of God. Father, give them wisdom, give them understanding, give them meaning for the word. I pray for every dad, particularly if there's a dad in the home, I just pray, Father, that you'll help them rise and be there. For the moms and the single moms and single dads, just give them the wisdom and the courage that they're going to need. And God, I pray, Father, that we'll share this good news where we get the opportunity because there's so many families out there who don't know where to turn, don't know where to turn. Give us the wisdom and the privilege of sharing that great news. So you have your way right now this time. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.